you've been present with us in this time of communion, and that as we have remembered your body and your blood, we've also remembered your grace and your mercy and your love. And we need that. Help us to extend that to others the way you've extended it to us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> well, I understand that there's an anniversary that is getting ready to occur of one of the greatest films ever made, at least in my opinion, because I love basketball movies. The movie Hoosiers is about to have its big anniversary again. I bring this up because the story, if you've not seen it, of Hoosiers is really a it, 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 it relies on a classic, epic construct. Here's the construct, or the way that it works. It's the idea that we're going to build a team, or a group, or a, a gang, whatever you would call it. And, and this has happened, think about all the stories of history that, that have this idea that we're putting all the pieces together so we can accomplish some great goal. I mean, even the New Testament has this, right? It's the imagery of us, Jesus going out and getting the disciples, and he's grabbing on, building his team, and getting them ready to do something, well, something great. Of course, in all of those stories, there's always some missing piece that has to be found, and, and the same thing happens in Hoosiers, of course. It's the player Jimmy, the all-star who's not on the team yet, and we've got to get him on the team somehow in order for them to win, and that happens in the movie in dramatic fashion. The problem in real life is that the missing pieces aren't always so easy to discover and find. What we need that we think is out there isn't always easy to grab hold of and take in. It's not always right there obvious in front of us. In fact, this was very true for the disciples of Jesus. There were things they thought needed to happen in order for the mission of Jesus to succeed. And in the beginning especially, they believed it was about converting the right kind of people to faith. And there were a lot of people they didn't see as important. Like, remember early on, they didn't see little children as important to the mission. And uh, there were times they didn't see the lepers or the beggars as important, and they would say, hey, leave Jesus alone, he's too busy. They didn't always have eyes like the eyes of Christ, or the eyes of God, who sees the missing piece quite often in, in someone we would never look for it in. The key to the success is sometimes in something we would never have imagined. I want to take you back to our series, Chosen. We opened this series by saying you, from 1 Peter, you are a chosen people, that Jesus chose you. You might seem like an unlikely piece of the puzzle, an unlikely part of the team, but he chose you for a purpose and for a reason. Now, I want us to have eyes like Jesus. In the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter uh, there are some stories that are taking place there, one of which you are very familiar with and which we've covered in recent weeks here, the story of the Samaritan woman. You know the story. We don't need to go back into that story today. But that's part of John chapter 4. It's interesting. John chapter 4 plays out in uh, the things that happen when the disciples are with Jesus, 
and the things that happen when they're not with Jesus. And the chapter is really interesting. You can read the whole chapter later on if you want to. You'll see what I'm talking about. But the disciples have something on their mind as their mission. They see that their mission is today to get some food. That's the mission. Uh, and I've had that mission before, right? If you've ever traveled somewhere uh, and you've been on the road for a long time, there's this moment where everyone's hungry and you start looking for a place to eat. Uh, and that's uh, a natural reality of life. And that's what's happening in John chapter 4. They've been walking for a long time. And they're hungry. And they are going to have to find some place to eat. And so when John 4 opens, they leave Jesus by a well, and the disciples all go off to look for food. Of course, you know there's that interaction that happens between Jesus and that woman at the well. The person nobody else would have thought was the key player of the team to unlock a great miracle in Samaria. And Jesus and her have a conversation. Again, I encourage you to read that story if you haven't read it lately. I want us to pick up with what happens when the disciples come back to Jesus. They have found food. They found it, and they are bringing him a feast. But Jesus says the thing that fills him up is something very different from the thing they've been seeking. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, and I want to pick up our story in about verse 31. Meanwhile, so Jesus has finished his conversation with the Samaritan woman. He's told her all the things about herself that she uh, couldn't believe that he could know. And then she's run into the village and she's telling everyone about Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples have returned. And when they come to Jesus, they urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Now I have to say I'm unfamiliar with this idea. No one has ever had to say to me, Marty, eat something. But, but maybe you have had that before. Someone said, hey, eat something. Well, Jesus, who was known to fast and, and, and went for long periods of time sacrificing food, because although it was important, it wasn't his most important thing. And uh, the disciples are concerned about Jesus. This is early in the ministry of Jesus. And they're, they're saying, Jesus, you need to eat something. It's been a long time since you've had food. And uh, here we see these 12 men trying to get another guy to eat. It's kind of a weird thing. Like, I can't imagine me and 12 of my friends out at some place and my friends saying, hey, Marty, eat something. I can't imagine that. But that's what's happening here. Teacher, rabbi, eat something. But Jesus shares with them something really amazing. He says to them, well, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Now, what's funny in what we read is the disciples immediately think Jesus got a secret stash. He's got you know some some secret stash of food that he's hidden away. Uh, I, I don't I don't remember this event. My parents tell me that it's true that when I was really young, uh, about three year two or three years old, that uh, they didn't know it at the time. But whenever we would have a meal, I would grab an extra roll or piece of bread or or whatever there was, kind of hide it from them, and then I would put it under my mattress in my room. I don't remember this. But they told me I had a secret stash, which they discovered one night when the ants were crawling all over me. Well, they thought Jesus had a secret stash. So his disciples said to each other, could someone else have brought him food? 
doggone it. Who else got in there? We were getting Jesus something special, and someone else brought him food before we could give it to him. But then Jesus corrects them. And I want you to hear how Jesus talks about what matters most. He says, my food. So if we're going to gather this, we have to think about food just for a moment. I, I hope you get a little hungry. It fits the end of the sermon. But the idea of food is that it's, it's something that if we, don't, if we don't obtain it with regularity, our bodies themselves start to say, hey, you need to get some food in here. Maybe you get the, what they call hanger, right? Or you get, you get feeling weak or you get to feeling all kinds of things if you haven't eaten in a while. Our bodies let us know, hey, this is important. Well, Jesus says, I want you to know there's something that's important to me, like food. It's just as important. Without food, you can't survive. And Jesus says, without this thing, I can't survive. It's that important to me. And what is that thing? What is that calling? What is that food? Well, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not have a saying, four months more and then the harvest? But I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. This, thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. And I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. This is an interesting little passage, and I'm sure the disciples have almost no clue what Jesus is talking about here at the beginning of this conversation. After all, their mind is all fixated on whatever they brought, the, the, the lamb burger or whatever it is they brought to Jesus for lunch that day. And Jesus says, listen, I have a mission, a calling. In this series, Chosen, we started by saying God chooses us, he chose you. We then talked about how that if God chooses us, that God changes us. He, he changes the way we think about things. He changes the way that we act. He changes us so that we're more like, well, like Jesus. Then last week we said that when God starts a work in us, he brings it to completion. And that God completes us, and he does. He helps fashion us and create us to be the people he wants us to be. Well, the last thing I want you to understand is that if he has chosen you, and if he has changed you, and if he is working to complete you, then he also has a calling for you. Jesus understood it from the time he was very young, right? When he was just a boy, and he was with his parents at the temple, he had said to them, you know, when he ditched his parents, that whole thing happens. And when they get back to Jesus, he says, hey, didn't I have to be about my father's business? I have a calling. I need to be about the things of God. That's what matters most. He understood it even though he was quite young. Here, again, Jesus reiterates his calling. But in that, there's some truths that we really need to grab hold of. Here's one of the first things. Let's go back and look at it again. He said, 
you harvest something you didn't work for. Now, in the context of, of the story, something incredible is about to happen, right? You know uh, that Jesus has talked to this woman that no one else wanted to talk to, and she didn't want to talk to anybody else, and he's uh, convinced her he's the Messiah. He's revealed it to her, and she has run off to tell everybody about it. The disciples really don't have a clue what the conversation between Jesus and this woman had been about, but they are about to reap the benefits of a harvest because the whole village of Samaria, they're going to come out to see Jesus. They're going to see this thing happen right in front of them. And it's not the last time that they will see Jesus has done the hard work so that they can reap a benefit for the kingdom of God. It's going to happen again in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus has been through the cross, the resurrection, and he's ascended to heaven. And it's in Acts chapter 2, we read that great story about Peter preaches the sermon on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people come forward and come to faith. 3,000. They didn't do the hard work of the cross. They didn't do all the hard work of the confrontations that Jesus had been in, but they sure reaped the benefits of what he's done. Which brings us to us. Jesus has done the hard work. And he has put us on his team. He chose you as the missing piece to complete the work. He's the one who's given us a calling. But there's a danger and a trap we've fallen into. We get so busy with the busyness and the business of life that we sometimes forget our mission and our calling. Jesus understood his mission from the beginning to the end. What did he say? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Well, I am measuring myself against Jesus' words, and I think that I'm found wanting. And I don't know how you feel when you read those words, but I'm not yet sure that I desire to do God's will and to fulfill his mission with the same gusto and passion that I want to eat a piece of pecan pie or a fine baked meal. The disciples also had to learn what it meant to be about finishing his work and doing God's will. The good news of Acts chapter 2 is found in what happened after, after that day of Pentecost when 3,000 had come forward. I want to read this to you, and I want you to just get a glimpse of what kinds of joy exist when we fulfill our calling and we live out the commands of Jesus. Because the disciples had been faithful on the day of Pentecost, and because they had reaped what they didn't have to work for necessarily, Jesus had done the hard work, the people gathered together. And what is described in Acts chapter 2 is actually a foretaste of what heaven will be like. 
Listen to what happened with the people. Not just the disciples now, but all of the people who had come to Jesus. Those people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread. They also dedicated themselves to prayer. And as they did that, they were all filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together, and they had things in common, and they sold their possessions, and they sold their goods, and they gave to anyone as they had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they, they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. It's fascinating to me. Once the mission was completed, if you would, in the sense of they had been faithful on the day of Pentecost, it led to joy. It led to fellowship. It led to cooperation. It led to sharing of resources. It led to peace. And it led to something that why is that part in there about they enjoyed the favor of the people? Everybody wanted what they had. And what had they done? They had just been faithful to reap a harvest that Jesus had done the hard work for. I want you to think about this world today. When we think about the task of winning the world, it seems like a daunting task. A daunting task. Why, it's almost like a team from Hickory winning the state tournament just seems unlikely and impossible. But Jesus says, I've already done the hard work. The hardest work is finished. The key that unlocks hope and salvation has already been discovered. Jesus is that peace. And you are the one who will show others the way to Jesus. Chosen. When we think about God's plan, it's interesting, since man is who messed it all up in the Garden of Eden, it's interesting that God still chooses to ultimately fulfill his plan through us. In spite of the failures of humanity, in the end, it was just through those 12 men and then through faithful men and women in the 120 and then faithful men and women and children in the 3,000 that the message began to go out. And the message has now gone around the globe several times. And in each generation, God looks for people who are faithful. I think what he's looking for in our generation are people who have a desire to do the will of God and that, that desire is greater than even their desire for the sustenance of life that is found in food. That is the calling. That's why you were chosen. That's why you were changed. That's part of God's work of completing us. Well, it may seem unlikely. It was unlikely that that woman with a bad reputation who had done a lot of immoral things, it was unlikely that she was going to be able to win over the people of her village, but she did. 
She led them to Jesus. And Jesus did the hard work. And it might seem to the world around us that Ogleville, Indiana is an unlikely place for God to do a work that, well, might not be what any of us would pick. But God chooses us. And God uses us for his glory and his benefit if we will allow ourselves to finish the work. Now Jesus looks around the world and I think he sees it a lot differently than we do. We look around today and we see gross immorality, selfishness that's rampant, people doing horrible things. And we think, doesn't feel like there's much hope. But if I understand Jesus right, he looks at the world and he says, man, there is a great harvest and all that we need are workers to go out and to bring in the harvest. I've done the planning. I've done the nurturing. I've done the growing. But I'm counting on you to bring in the harvest. I pray that our will will be like Jesus' will, that we will desire to do God's will and to be about our Father's business. And I believe that if we are faithful, because we were chosen, because we were changed, because we're being made complete in Christ, and because we're called, if we're faithful, God will reap a marvelous harvest, and we will be blessed in the process. Now, it might be that you're here today and you've never yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If that is your circumstance, I encourage you to make life's most important decision. I encourage you to say yes to Jesus. If you have a decision to make, I hope you'll make it as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation.